You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and candy curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Hello and hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we will be bringing you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We're a group of industry experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, June 13th, 2022, and this is episode 300, and I am Rico Lamita. Yeah! Turn that shit up. I'm Rico Lamita, founder of Cannavision and the dopest dad in these streets, stepping in this morning for our founder, Susan Sorries, who's unfortunately tending to a family emergency this morning. Um, please keep Susan and her family in your thoughts today as the team does our best to make up for her brilliance behind the scenes. If you're listening to the podcast, the show is live every weekday, 9 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 31,000 State of Cannabis NewsHour members if you want to be in an be in the audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about how a chewing gum air fell into a sticky situation with weed. Chuck Schumer on Nancy Mace, or Nancy Mace, whose cannabis legalization bill you guys got Livewire Ergonogenics supports California cannabis tourism efforts. New details on congressional marijuana omnibus bill are emerging. Top federal drug agency wants to know which companies can and can analyze marijuana, including dispensary gifts. He bailed, in, uh, he bailed out of prison with gold. Now, illegal marijuana mogul is eyeing the cannabis world in New York. Costa Mesa is considering the first dispensaries to open up this Monday out here in California. And 420 Property considers the real estate side of the cannabis industry. So, in many others, excuse me, in many other frosty nuggets to stick. So, stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you may get the gong. Now, I will be cooking off this show to Anna. My story is coming out of Politico, and it's a doozy with a lot of spice. Um, it's by um, Paul Demko and Mona Zhang. How a chewing gum air fell into a sticky situation with weed. William Bo Wrigley Jr., the heir and former CEO of the Wrigley Company, took a portion of proceeds from a $23 billion sale uh, to Mars in 2008 and put it toward a 2018 $65 million investment in Sertera Wellness, primarily to do business in Florida's emerging medical market. After taking over as Sertera's CEO, the next few years would be a bit turbulent. Um, Politico called it messy. Eventually, rebranding the company to Parallel and expanding into Massachusetts, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Texas, and recruiting big-name mainstream Chad executives to run things in each state. The idea was to build a weed empire to someday eclipse his family's legendary chewing gum businesses. Um, but the last 12 months, Parallel has gone into a financial freefall. Parallel predicted by the end of 2022... They'd have 86 dispensaries in eight markets and over $600 million in revenue. 
Wrigley even told Forbes in a February 21 cover story, I think this can be bigger than Wrigley, than the Wrigley company. At Wrigley, we brought joy to people's lives, and this is much bigger than that. The story came out right before Parallel announced a blockbuster deal with music mogul Scooter Braun and his SPAC, Cirrus Acquisition Corp. Cirrus planned to purchase Parallel and take it public with a massive $1.9 billion deal. Seven months later, it collapsed. Two more months after that, Wrigley stepped down as the CEO. Per Politico, he and the company now face a pair of investor lawsuits alleging Parallel officials concealed massive debt, issued uh, fanciful financial projections, engaged in self-dealing, and committed various other misdeeds to defraud them. In March, the complaint filed uh, in U.S. District Court of Southern District uh, in Florida read, although the company participates in comparatively new industry of legal cannabis, the securities defendants still committed in good old-fashioned securities fraud. Certera's founding CEO, Jake Bergman, is also suing the company for $20 million and more is expected to come. Parallels yet to respond to allegations, but filed a motion to dismiss one of the lawsuits. Cannabis sales are projected to hit $32 billion this year, while most companies continue to bleed cash and stock prices collapse. Certera, now known as Parallel, is no different. Wrigley's weed story goes back to his relationship with Wes Van Dyke. Van Dyke began hosting a series of barbecues dubbed Leather Apron Club, Nights after graduating from University of Georgia in 2012, where Southern Chads would debate the current state of the world and how their privilege would soon allow them to fix it all. In 2013, Jake Bergman joined the gatherings after recently quitting his investment baker job. He moved on to managing a small hedge fund loaded with investments from friends and family. Both considered themselves futurists and bonded, bonded over their connection before seeing potential to shake up the, uh, the prescription drug-driven model and a rapidly growing medical cannabis industry they knew pretty much nothing about. The idea eventually became Certera Holdings, and their plan was to focus on southern states where access was virtually non-existent. The first one was Florida, grabbing one of the state's initial five licenses. They then called everybody they knew, collecting cash, and expanded into more states, including an infamous pro-Trump conspiracy theorist lawyer, Lynn Wood. Wood's past client list included at the time Richard Jewell, a suspect in 1996 Atlanta Olympics bombing, and the family of John Benet Ramsey. Wood said he'd eventually, initially uh, decide to invest in Certera because he saw the potential for medical cannabis to help to help people, but grew uncomfortable with being associated with an intoxicating substance after "quote unquote" surrendering his life to God in August 2018. Okay, that's what I'm gonna send off. Yo, mute, mute, right. mute, 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 mute. There we go. Where was I? I would invest in uh, Lynn Wood said. I wouldn't invest in a liquor company. I might have 10 years ago or five years ago, but I wouldn't now that I have found Jesus. Wood attempted to withdraw his investments from Certera, but he could not. Wood is not a party in these lawsuits, but he's expected to hop on later on. As of July 2018, Bergman and Van Dyke opened eight Florida dispensaries and planned to grow Certera's retail footprint to 50 outlets in the Sunshine State with, uh, with expansion targets across the country. Per the article, Bergman's profile also grew due to an at times volatile personal relationship with Florida AG Commissioner and uh, excuse me, Florida Ag Commissioner and current Democrat gubernatorial candidate Nikki Freed, his former fiance. But Certera still struggled to find their massive game uh, to fund their massive game plan, and this is why they eventually linked up with the true sugar daddy in every sense of the word, 
Bo Wrigley. Political reporter uh, Bergman and Van Dyke declined to comment on what happened when the, with the business after Wrigley took over, citing NDAs signed and possible future litigation. But it wasn't long before things turned sour. Less than a month after Wrigley became cha- chair of Sotera's board, they announced an agreement to exclusively carry Jimmy Buffett's coral reefer line um, in line products in their dispensaries. By the end of the year, Sotera had launched its first medical products in Texas and announced plans to enter Nevada. 2019, it acquired two Massachusetts companies in cultivation and retail and hired former Patron Spirits CEO Ed Brown to serve as Northeast Company Executive Director and former Kellogg CFO Fareed Khan for the same role at Sotera. 2019, Sotera announced they raised $100 million from investors before changing names to Parallel months later. Wrigley cited the name reflected the company's transformational growth over the past year and their long-term vision. 2021, April 2021, Parallel agreed to pay at least $100 million in cash and stock to purchase Illinois dispensary chain Windy City Cannabis, Wrigley's seemingly triumphant return to home Chicago. But less than six months later, Parallel's financial cracks began to show. September 2021, the SPAC deal imploded. Cirrus declined to comment, but Reuters reported the parties mutually decided to walk away from the merger and the SPAC had lost faith in Parallel's financial projections that it had relied on when cutting the deal. This left Wrigley and the other company officials scrambling to pay off debt and and keep the business from collapsing. Their ultimate goal was to make the company look attractive enough to bring in a new purchaser first half of 2022, according to the complaint. Plaintiffs allege they were defrauded out of $25 million each with the understanding that the company would raise an equal sum from either other parties, including Wrigley. Parallel officials claim cannabis industry players were lighting up their phones and lining up unsolicited to buy the company. But as soon as it became clear that Parallel was in much worse shape than anyone knew at the time. August 2021, company projected 2022 revenues of $618 million. But by October, that number shrunk to $492 million. Three months later, $362 million. The plaintiffs also alleged shortly after uh, committing, they discovered Parallel was in the process of defaulting on more than $300 million in debt. Attorneys for the company de- declined a comment on the allegations, and a second investor lawsuit was filed um, in the Supreme Court of New York in March, including John Morgan, a uh, prominent attorney and Democratic donor known in Florida as Pot Daddy. He got the name after bankrolling the 2016 medical legalization campaign, funding a lawsuit to open Florida's market to flower. Morgan did not respond to requests for comment on this story either. Political notes that other plaintiffs are investment vehicles registered in the British Virgin Islands and Cyprus, known for international tax havens with strong anonymity protections. The suit alleges after Wrigley took control of the company, he loaded the business with substantial debt, running the company into the ground, engaged in self-dealing transactions by serving as both borrower as the CEO of the company and controlling various investment vehicles, lending cash to parallel designed to be a, quote, quick insider payday. The sweetheart deal meant the investment vehicles that Wrigley controlled got priority over other investors in the event of default. According to the lawsuit, Wrigley's attorneys have asked the New York court to dismiss the lawsuit, arguing the plaintiff's claims ignore the plain language of the loan agreements pointing out the sophisticated investors knew the risk of investing in cannabis and blamed the failed SPAC deal on market regulatory headwinds, including the effects of COVID-19. While Parallel's failed to grow into the national player Wrigley envisioned it would be when he took over in 2018, it still retained significant industry assets as one of the largest retail footprints in Florida with 44 dispensaries or about 10% of the statewide total. 
Parallel also still has additional operations in Texas, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and even in Budapest, Hungary, according to the website. This is Rico Lamit, Dope's Dad on the Street for the State of Cannabis News Hour. That was a lot, but it's very spicy. I'm interested in hearing what the rest of the team and everybody thinks of Parallel Brands. What's going on? And uh, is Bo really going to get out of this one? Yeah, Rico, that was a long <laughs> article. I was getting a little lost. Um, do you think that this company can be salvaged? Um, what, what do these people who are bringing the lawsuits hoping to obtain? Are they just want to get their money out of it or they want to kick out the Rickley dude and reshape the company? He's gone. He stepped down as CEO. He's named in, the, in, in almost all of the lawsuits. And they're not saying exactly what happened right when he took over the company, but it's a lot of shady shit. He was lending money to the company out of his own pockets um, and also taking loans um, at the same time. Um, yeah, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of shit. But it, it's it it may end up like MedMen. They might have a um, a footprint large enough that um, they'll get picked up by somebody else and they'll get saved. We're starting to see the era of too big to fail in cannabis as well. They they do have enough uh, infrastructure, I think, for someone to pick them up, buy them, repurpose them, and actually make them profitable. The uh, I agree that they definitely have enough assets to be picked up and acquired, um, but uh, all of the legal liability is going to create a lot of transaction costs that are likely, you know, for licensed businesses, not deductible under 280E. And just like MedMen, you know, they could have toxic legal expenses and toxic tax liability that follows around their licensed assets and makes it uh, not impossible to be acquired but much more costly than it might appear on its face yeah they're gonna, I mean they're, they're gonna lose more money and um somebody big is probably gonna pick them up pennies on the dollar despite what people think we are in a recession <laughs> i think we're deep in it too so sake of time let's keep it let's keep it moving i know mine was long um up next is the industry's longest continuously operating retailer known in detroit as white gucci west hollywood el presidente and now in the united kingdom the booth free bloke Jason Beck, what you got for us this morning, my man? Oh, yeah. Good morning, Rico. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everyone's start having a great start to their week because my story comes out of D.C. where Chuck Schumer or Nancy Mace, whose cannabis legalization bill will candidates back as far as a legalization bill and which candidates are the largest weed companies supporting and that's with their dollars. Federal cannabis reform will be created in the image and likeness of whichever political party is in office when it finally happens. And don't we know it? In fact, last week, Bill Maher bemoaned that Republicans are going to steal the issue. He says, I think eventually the real time talk show host who was speaking with former Attorney General Eric Holder is probably right. Republicans will keep the taxes low and government regulation to a minimum approach might be better equipped with psychological and uh, proactively to legalize cannabis, their conservative Christian wing nonwithstanding. Whereas the Dems are more disposed to taxes, regulations, and to their credit, a strong emphasis on social equity and justice as seen by an across the board push for expungement, their prohibitionist president notwithstanding. Just take a look at the two major cannabis reform proposals, one from each party, that have been circulating in and out of the halls of Congress, as well as the state legislators. 
Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, along with Senator Cory Booker and Senator Ron Wyden, launched their Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, the CAOA, which will, well, we're told, will be introduced in August after several false starts. Then there's Representative Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina, with the State's Reform Act, the SRA, which, when introduced in 2021, was warmingly greeted. Both bills would remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act, thus legalizing it federally, a good start. And many in the industry concur that the Dems CAOA leans more towards social justice and therefore enjoys support from the Marijuana Justice Coalition, which includes the ACLU and Human Rights Watches. Mace's SRA is more big business centered and enjoys the backing of the Cannabis Freedom Alliance, which includes the Koch funded group Americans for Prosperity. So whose legalization bill and by extension, which congressional candidates are executives of the U.S. or, or and executives of the U.S.'s highest valued c- cannabis companies supporting? If you guess Nancy Mace, go ahead and clap your hands because you're moving to the head of the class. Cannabis Wire did some digging into the congressional campaign contributions made by executives of the following multi-state operators. Ascend Wellness, AYR Wellness, Canopy Growth, Columbia Care, Cresco Labs, Cure Leaf Holdings, Green Thumb Industries, TerraSend, TrueLeave, and Verano Holdings. Of these companies, six CEOs made a campaign contribution in 2022. Four of them gave to Mace alone. One gave to Mace and to Gary Chambers, a Democrat from Louisiana who's running for the Senate. And one gave only to Chambers, who made headlines in January when he smoked a joint in one of his campaign ads. So, yeah, Bill Maher, you may have a point. Republicans may be stealing this cannabis issue. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I think it's already stolen. Um, well, Jason, well, I, I do agree with many things you often say. I don't know how much of a future Nancy Mace's bill does have. Um, right now, all she has in sponsors are Republicans. She doesn't have a single Democrat on board, so that doesn't bode well. Uh, she also has her primary tomorrow. Um, and in South Carolina, if you don't get a majority of the votes, you have to do a runoff race in two weeks. Um, and Nancy Mace is uh, facing some stuff, stiff competition. So we'll see if she's still around in two weeks. Um, I, I, I don't have, while I like her low taxation rate, I don't like very much else in her bill. Um, and I don't think it's going to go very far. It's going all the way to the president's desk, Gretchen. You're crazy. Next. <laughs> yeah, Nancy Mace for president. <laughs> she can be vice president running uh, with Trump. Is that what's going no, on? Uh, no, uh, that, is, that is not what's happening, no. <laughs> Trump is no longer endorsing Nancy Mace, which is what's going to give her difficulty in the South Carolina primary. Let's keep it moving. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. Who we got next? All right. Coming up next, it's Adelia Carrillo. She's the CMO of the award-winning tech platform Event High and co-host of the groundbreaking woman-focused Blunt Brunch event series. Coming up next, that's right, it's Adelia Carrillo. Good morning, everyone. All right, today's article, Livewire Ergogenics 
supports California cannabis tourism efforts. The company Livewire Ergogenics Incorporated has been focusing on acquiring, managing, and licensing special purpose real estate properties uh, with their focus of producing high quality handcrafted sun-grown cannabis products for medical and recreational adult use in California. And now they are actually accelerating its efforts to develop Estrella Ranch in Paso Robles into California's premier cannabis destination. So they see great potential and value in cannabis tourism and are carving a somewhat different path than most cannabis operators in California. They have decided to build the ultimate cannabis destination for cannabis tourism in California. What they're calling it is the world's first estate-grown estate-grown weedery. Soon after, visitors will be invited to learn about sun-grown cannabis and experience the living and breathing organic style operation firsthand in a beautiful and safe environment. Now, a little bit about uh, a little bit of history about Estrella Ranch. Estrella Ranch is a historic property in Paso Robles. It is in the center of the world-renowned California wine country. Um, they've already begun transformation, developing uh, this property into a facility uh, to cultivate uh, cannabis products. On top of that, the Estrella Ranch has actually a long-standing history and was once owned by the Prince of Morocco, and is considered among the finest ranches in California. Now, Estrella Ranch, again, is located near Paso Robles and Santa Barbara, halfway between L.A. and San Francisco. And the reason we bring this up is, you know, as as I shared last week, half of millennials state that access to legal recreational cannabis plays a significant role in choosing their can, uh, their vacation destinations. We also touched last week that nearly 18 percent of American leisure travelers are interested in traveling to destinations where cannabis is legal and can have a cannabis related experience. This number also jumps to 62 percent for cannabis consuming adults over 21. Now, LifeWire recognized this trend several years ago, and they began building out that business plan to match this trend this trend, um, allowing the company to set itself apart from the competition and compete with more than just the large number of pounds produced. Um, so what can people expect? They will allow different social groups to visit and learn about to learn about and experience cannabis firsthand in a legal and safe environment following their cultivation process from seed to flower. Now, according to Livewire and the Estrella team, you can now, uh, they can now utilize the combined experience of its affiliates and subsidiary teams to build a unique network of valuable cannabis entities. Um, now, you know, one thing I noted is cannabis tours are not new. So I'm just really curious to what their really, their long-term goal really is, you know, and what they mean by the estate-grown weedery. I would love to hear more from the team. What are your thoughts on this? And who actually has any insight into the cannabis landscape in Paso Robles? This is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you so much for the story, Adelia. I can tell you from being in Santa Barbara County and kind of close to that area that this is exciting. A lot of people are looking to this. Paso Robles is such a wine area that hopefully the wineries will also work with the cannabis. Um, but this is a huge tourism area, and I wish these cannabis people the best of luck. I actually stayed there with my uh, with the family as we uh, we always go off grid at the end of the year. We actually stayed there at a farm, um, and they were very very cannabis friendly. And they actually had um, um, like a bunch of um, recommendations for like local um, um, drivable dispensaries and farms to check out over there too someone needs to come out with a weed brand that's called the robles just so that way the city can market itself that it passes the robles <laughs> what <laughs> paso robles paso the robles <laughs> so adelia do you know if they're getting any pushback from their wine neighbors winery neighbors 
Um, not, I haven't read, I don't read anything in the research. I was looking at other articles. There's not too much on it. So I definitely want to, you know, keep an eye out onto this and just see what they're going to be offering more and yeah, kind of what the insight is with their neighbors. I'll definitely let you know. Let's keep smoking the nose. So she splits her days and nights between political strategy and baking delicious treats. Our next correspondent is a full-time feisty redheaded conservative with Mayflower roots, so she says. Up next is the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our very own Washington insider, Gretchen Gailey. What you got for us today? Uh, good afternoon, Rico. I have breaking news. Chuck Schumer talked to a Republican. Uh, my headline is new details on congressional marijuana on 60 Senate votes. Uh, this is coming from Marijuana Moment. Uh, two key congressmen made waves in the marijuana community on Thursday by disclosing that there are high-level talks underway about putting together a wide-ranging package of incremental marijuana proposals that House and Senate lawmakers believe could be enacted into law this year. But multiple sources tell Marijuana Moment that issues under consideration go further than the banking and expungement reforms that were at the center of public discussion that has emerged. Uh, the dueling pushes for comprehensive legalization and incremental reform, a source of tension among advocates, lawmakers, and industry insiders over many months. Many actually result in something actionable and bipartisan by the end of the current Congress. Those familiar with the bicameral negotiations say, that said, no deal is set in stone and talks are ongoing. In addition to the banking and expungement proposals that made waves when discussed publicly at a conference on Thursday by two key house, house lawmakers, there are also talks about attaching languages from other standalone bills dealing with issues such as veterans, medical cannabis access, research expansion, marijuana industry access to small business administration programs, and broader drug sentencing reform. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has continued to work with colleagues on broad legalization bill. He's also been actively inviting input from members across the aisle. That feedback might help inform the Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act. And he's sponsoring alongside Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden and Senator Cory Booker and is expected to be filed this month. But it's also apparently helped guide lawmakers towards an alternative backup approach, something that would effectively be on a marijuana omnibus bill. Representatives Ed Perlmutter and Dave Joyce first publicly disclosed that there were discussions about crafting a bipartisan cannabis package at an International Cannabis Bar Association conference on Thursday, with Joyce revealing a recent meeting he had about the idea with Schumer. Perlmutter, sponsor of the Safe Banking Act, said that his legislation to safeguard financial institutions that work with state legal marijuana businesses would be a part of the package under consideration. But he has also said at the time that members are interested in including Joyce's harnessing opportunities by pursuing expungement act to incentivize state and local governments to expunge prior marijuana records, as well as proposals to provide veterans with access to medical cannabis and expand marijuana research. But those four issues, banking, expungements, research, and veterans, noted earlier, are only part of what's on the table. Sources who have been involved in negotiations uh, have told Marijuana Moment. They stress, however, that a deal has not been reached and talks are tentative at this point. Another possible component the lawmakers have discussed, including the omnibus legislation, would be a proposal to give cannabis businesses access to SBA loans and services that are available to every other industry. Uh, this is a reform that Senator Jackie Rosen um, has been advocating for. And while it's not clear that the negotiations over the prospective marijuana package um, a congressional source said that Rosen has spoken with Schumer about her interest in advancing the issue as he's working to navigate the cannabis uh, 
congressional waters. Uh, now, this is not to say while the talks are ongoing that the CAOA is not coming. Apparently still coming, so they say. Um, but what I would like to point out from this story is that uh, Gretchen Gailey here was correct um, in that they are pushing hard on putting together safe and hope, and that is the legislation that's going to pass this year. Nothing else. This is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Gretchen, do you really think it's going to have time to pass this year? Sure, why not? Um, they've already discussed safe plenty. Um, uh, Schumer's willing to put this together. Schumer's the majority leader. He can do it. Uh, what Schumer's not able to do is have the time to get any hearing together on his legislation, which hasn't even been introduced yet um, and has no hope of going anywhere or getting 60 votes before the end of the year. I do think safe and hope have a chance. If anything has a chance, safe is it. They need to pass safe banking. And if hope is what gets them across the state, uh, the, the end line, then that's what they need to do. Look at this, all I'm these hoping. Republicans, all this hopey, changey, and safe shit. Sounds, sounds rather democratic to me and socialist, if you will, Jason. Well, hope is coming from a uh, bipartisan <laughs> effort with Dave Joyce, Republican, and AOC, uh, the darling of the Democrats. Uh, so there has been crossing of the aisles, and they are trying to put this together. One thing of note that they also state in this article is that uh, good old Schumer, our bestie, um, has made clear that uh, SAFE may not make the America Competes Act. Um, and if that's the case, it's because Chuck is throwing it out. Nobody else. Pass SAFE banking. Fuck safe banking. <laughs> Let's keep it moving. We got next. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker, the State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Viewer discretion advised. One visit to this office is sure to get you access to all kinds of blue pills. All shapes, sizes, and colors are always included and welcome in this safe space. She's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual, bars, dual board certified physician, always promoting cannabis as medicine. And if you play your cards right, she'll mix some yellow ones with your blue ones to make a greener experience. Coming next to the stage, it's Dr. Felicia Dawson. What kind of medicine do you have for us today, doctor? Thank you so much, Jason. Greetings, everyone. My headline comes from Westchester and Fairfield County Business Journals. 420 Property Considers the Real Estate Side of the Cannabis Industry by Justin McGowan. Ryan George is blazing a new path on an overlooked aspect of the country's growing cannabis industry, real estate. George launched 420 Property in 2016, and it has since become the premier platform for growers, dispensaries, retailers, and distributors to find space for their businesses. George, who has a background in real estate and commercial real estate, is based in Sacramento, California. Around 2010, 2011, he has some clients trying to find very specific use properties that in the end were for cannabis. He recounts how difficult it was initially. Quote, you had to call around and kind of tiptoe around the taboo of cannabis with landlords. You had to do it in a professional way, but if you just came out and said, are you okay with a medical marijuana tenant? You really ran the risk of the broker slamming the phone in your ear. George talks about Connecticut and other East Coast states coming online. The article talks about the specific needs of certain properties. Warehouses are desirable in the cannabis industry for most producers. 
All they need is an excellent electrical hookup to operate lamps and water pumps for hydroponic systems. Dispensaries are looking for the same things that a typical store would. High traffic areas with ample parking. They're also looking for security features due to their product and the cash they have to handle. For outdoor cannabis farming, location is the most important factor. George feels that Connecticut may produce some plants with commercial applications such as pre-roll products. However, high-grade flowers that consumers prefer will be hard to produce in the state. He currently has six Connecticut properties and expects the number to grow. Anticipate, he anticipates there will be some flipping of warehouses in a, that are in poor condition um, that may be acquired on the cheap, given upgraded power hookups and renovated in anticipation of rising demand. Quote, I'm very excited about the East Coast, George said. It's been a slow process, but it will be big. This is a great example of using your skills and training and applying them to the cannabis space. For everyday investors, cannabis real estate is another way to get involved without jeopardizing a lot of money. There are multiple cannabis real estate investment trusts or REITs, and a few of them are even traded on the NASDAQ and the stock, New York Stock Exchange. Uh, this is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Does anyone have any experience with 420 property in the on the stage or in the audience? Yeah, yeah, we have a facility at 420 properties in Adelanto, and I just think them expanding into Connecticut is kind of the the wrong move. I mean, I think from their business model, they should be expanding into a state more like Michigan as opposed to. Connecticut. How so? Why are those different? I don't, I don't get it. Uh, real, real estate rates, uh, economic opportunity zones, a whole host of different um, financial reasons as well. Um, you know, I mean, Detroit just alone, there's, there's so much money that you can get for upgrading and rejuvenating that whole area as far as federal money that you would be eligible because you would be a property owner and property investor that you'd be eligible to acquire. Cool. Thanks for that. I think this is an interesting story, especially considering, you know, the state of real estate uh, that we are now, especially residential real estate. So it's kind of interesting. I wonder if they're going to be like these other companies that are snapping up all these homes and then going to find themselves at a loss. But I do think it was really interesting kind of to hear like their search image of what they're looking for, like, you know, obviously like uh, security and other things like that, because as someone who's looked for uh, a place like that, I'm sure many in the audience have. Definitely things we look for. Let's keep smoking the news. This educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County prefers a lab-tested, drama-free data drip each morning, of course accompanied by a COA with the, with the chain of custody uncompromised. Up next, it's Liz Rogan. What you got for us today, Liz? Thank you, Rico. Hi there, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's see. My story comes out of, forgive me, um, my story comes out of CBS Channel 6 in Albany by Ann Cloy. The headline reads, he bailed out of prison with gold, now illegal marijuana mogul eyeing New York cannabis license. So I don't know if this headline is exactly correct, but we'll just go with it right now. Have you heard of Eric Tenori? Well, if you purchase his memoir entitled Pressure, you will find out his tell-all story. And I want to give uh, arrogance warning ahead of time. I think you can pretty you can see how obvious it is with his first quote. I understand the high-end cannabis market on the East Coast probably better than anyone, end quote. So Kenori grew up in the Queensbury, North County area of New York State, and he currently resides in Saratoga Springs. 
he says that he began selling cannabis in 11th grade. And by his, into his 20s, he was running a massive enterprise across the Canadian border and across country. He says, quote, I grew a massive organization before cannabis was legal in any state in the country. And you can watch the video on this here, which uh, he describes uh, ripping cannabis out of mattresses. And you can see pictures of these gold bars that we'll talk about. But this was his first interview since it all went down in 2012. He was raided by federal agents, and he was sentenced to 30 months for conspiracy and intent to distribute. So in the memoir, he describes how he was able to get a lighter sentence by tipping off authorities to a stash of gold he got with drug proceeds and was buried. So he says, quote, I was escorted out of my jail cell into the woods of upstate New York, where I unearthed 10 million in gold bars in shackles, surrounded by 20 DEA agents with AR-15s, and the next day I was let out of jail, end quote. He's 43 now, and he says going to prison gave him a leg up in the legal cannabis industry, saying, quote, they are going to give priority to prior offenders in the cannabis space. So uh, with uh, retail licenses being reserved for residents who've had past cannabis convictions, and those candidates must also demonstrate a history being successful business owners. So Kenori says he's got all that covered because, quote, by age 29, he had smuggled more than $300 million worth of cannabis, like any 400 a Fortune 500 company, end quote. He is waiting for the application process to begin, um, and his other goals for the future include creating nature retreats to help people get off their phones and connect with their goals. So I'm going to end with a quote. He says, uh, now I have to go out into the world and say, hey, my name's Eric Kenori. I wrote a book. Do you want to work with me? End quote. Well, 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 I know that allegedly, and myself included, many of us came from the medical legacy market. But this braggadocious bro kind of taps my hide a little. I give him kudos for writing it all down. And if he really did spill all of the tea, then he might have some people that are not so excited about this book. And he might up with, end up with some uh, pressure of his own to deal with. But he'll probably get a movie script, too. Uh, what do you guys all think? This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I mean, the state of New York is in such a mess. And with, uh, with cannabis being sold on every corner and every single food truck, I mean, how he expects to tap into the market is, is just totally beyond me. So New York doesn't have that um, disclaimer about felons getting into the market immediately? Well, New York does have that um, about with, in, in regards to felons. But my point of it is this, is that it's already so out of control. What's the point of getting in to the legalized space in New York when it's far cheaper to just go open up 20 bodegas throughout the state and just sell weed through those. And then I would say, is he someone who's really been marginalized by this quote war on drugs? Um, I mean, I understand that people take advantage of things all the time, but, you know, kind of showing this all up doesn't seem like it's, it's very fair, at least ethical to be applying for this license. In my opinion, this dude's biopic is going to be fucking fantastic though. Christopher Smith said he interviewed him, and we were hoping he'd be able to pop on, but he's at the airport. But uh, he said he's a pretty cool guy, so I'm kind of here. A cop said he's a cool guy? Christopher Smith. <laughs> Wrong, Christopher, but come on, Jason. I couldn't help myself. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> I'm crying over here on a Monday. <laughs> I just want to be able to pay for shit and, like, gold fucking bars one day. Yeah, the pictures with the gold bars are pretty impressive. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, they're very pretty. 
All right, let's keep it moving, right. Jason. Here we go. Coming up next, this beard was born and bred in New York. Maybe that's why this beard commands such a presence, because, baby, it's cold outside. So cold that the beard was compelled to move to sunny Long Beach, California, where the beard received a law degree. Known in the bar exam as the Brandon Beard Award for high scores, this intellectual IP attorney and CEO of Fruits Labs is none other than Brandon Dorsky. Let's go, Brandon. What do you have for us today? Happy Monday, everyone. Today, my headline comes from Marijuana Moment. It's top federal drug agency wants to know which companies can analyze marijuana, including dispensary products. The National Institute on Drug Abuse, also known as NIDA, is seeking sources capable of analyzing cannabis samples, including those from dispensaries, for research purposes. They published a sources sought notice for, quote, analysis of cannabis and related materials for research with the special request of dispensary product. NIDA is specifically seeking capability statements from all businesses having the in-house capability to provide analysis of cannabis, cannabis products, and other related materials of interest to the program to support research. The contracted parties would perform analysis of 150 confiscated samples of cannabis a month, but also would study products intended for sale and use that come from medical marijuana dispensaries. A source of sought notice is basically an invitation for potential contractors to provide NIDA with information that it needs to pursue partnerships for future research objectives. The request for businesses capable of analyzing medical marijuana products is a unique wrinkle attempting to address the fact that the government-grown cannabis NIDA has access to is absolute boof. Because existing researchers can't study products that consumers in legal states are actually using, the science and conclusions those researchers are drawing are questionable at best, and their science and data are being called into question, and NIDA is trying to change the tune on their data and get access to better weed. Some may have thought the green light was given to cannabis research already, but Joe Biden's infrastructure bill that included some provisions for studying cannabis laid out a long-term plan for considering the issue without putting a lot of teeth into how the research would actually occur today. NIDA, under current law, is still not able to purchase dispensary samples directly. Quote, samples from dispensaries may be analyzed for research purposes through collaboration between NIDA via its marijuana farm contract at the University of Mississippi or law enforcement agencies for purposes of monitoring cannab cannabinoid content. However, the cannabis shipped to scientific investigators for use in research studies obtained through the NIDA drug supply program is still limited to the products grown at the marijuana farms. Samples from dispensaries are still not available for use in external research studies through NIDA, end quote. The notice does describe the main objective of a potential marijuana analysis contract. It had three points. One is to analyze samples of marijuana provided by the DEA or other designated law enforcement agencies and procure products not available through the program. Another is to analyze the samples of cannabis and provide a certificate of analysis to support research. And the third is to periodically analyze cannabis extracts and isolated cannabinoids for authenticity, purity, and stability. And then to prepare a quarterly potency monitoring report on the result of the analysis of confiscated cannabis samples and other samples of interest as authorized by NIDA. The notice is about testing for potency and monitoring cannabinoid content. The request is not even for studies that will show cannabis's real benefits, but just be an aid to some government boof parade. This, uh, 
I appreciate that they're expanding their research and they want to get more data. But the data that I'm interested in is how cannabis helps people, not how potent the cannabis on the block is or how potent the cannabis coming from the dispensary is or how much more potent everybody else's cannabis is than the government's cannabis. The government should stay out of the cannabis game because they suck at it. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I love this story, Brandon. Thanks so much for bringing it. Um, I wonder if this is, you know, just movement towards the full-on labs, like the government taking over the labs. Yes, it's supposed to be. Uh, um, it's supposed to be by this December. That was their original statement that they tried to make fly under the uh, the radar, right? December 2022. That's when they can start getting uh, cannabis from dispensaries for research. Now, they proposed that they were going to have a national, the DEA was going to be taking over all lab testing for the, um, said the, the hemp industry. But I, uh, good I expect good that luck to, with that. Right. I, I expect them just to be like licensing it out uh, to a bunch of um, already um, approved lab testers and expanding that um, uh, for THC as well. That contract is huge. I mean, I'm sure they've already decided who's going to do it behind the scenes. You're right, correct, Liz. It's going to be a huge, huge, huge contract. Well, I suspect anyone who steps forward is going to be really, really good about crossing those T's and dotting those I's. I don't know about all that. They're just going to have the right relationships to get the contract. I was yep. going to say, they have to have the right luck. <laughs> follow the money. Exactly. Follow the campaign spending bills. But this is pretty crazy because I know we had a, a news article a while ago where they were supposed to be able to actually test the cannabis or use the cannabis like in dispensary. So this just shows how incredibly bogus that is. I guess so. You're up, Rico. Let's do it. Our next correspondent decided to trade in his issue gun and badge for speaking on the issues with a blunt and a notepad. A dope dad and former cops. Uh, this dope dad and former cops is security consultant at CC Security Solutions and and also, a little pissed off at Jason's remarks earlier. Chris Eggers, what you got for us today, my man? I'm not. I'm not pissed. I'm just. I'm just sad. You know, sad and, and maybe maybe a little bit disappointed. But uh, cut I'll get it over out, it. bro. Cut it out. I'll get over it. Uh, good morning. Happy Monday. My article today comes out of the Orange County Register. Uh, headline reads: Costa Mesa to consider first two cannabis store permits on Monday today. Costa Mesa officials are about to take up the first two proposals for uh, discussion here at applications opening for two retail shops in uh, Costa Mesa, a storefront proposed on Harbor Boulevard and one on Newport Boulevard. Now, these two streets, uh, according to this article, is where nearly two-thirds of the 65 proposed businesses would be located. Um, it will go before the city's planning commission today on Monday. If they're approved there, uh, then it'll go on to the city council. Now, unlike Santa Ana, which is uh, Orange County's uh, a city in Orange County previously that allowed cannabis shops, the only other one, Costa Mesa doesn't have a cap on any other on permits um, that it may grant. Santa Ana has a max right now of 30. And also, unlike Santa Ana, which re uh, relegates pot shops to mostly out of the way industrial areas, Costa Mesa's newest business ventures can open up on any commercially zoned parcel, which is pretty cool. Um, so up for consideration Monday is uh, Culture Cannabis Club on Newport Boulevard and 420 Central on Harbor Boulevard. Um, the city wrote that its regulations uh, is to ensure and 
sorry, I digress, but they previously on 420 voted on and were having discussion on various regulations and the city wrote that its regulations are to ensure that the stores are safe and discreet, according to Councilwoman Reynolds. Some residents say that they have fears about the type of clientele the stores might attract, but says that, quote, I think when people hear of all the different requirements and especially the security requirements, that alleviates a lot of concerns. As of Friday, only one objection uh, which is the manager of a pharmacy nearby on, on Harbor Vol- Boulevard was voiced. Um, I'm interested to see what folks think about that. Um, Costa Mesa opening up, I think, is is amazing. Having no cap is amazing. And I think uh, not limiting to a specific area is, is awesome. Um, and so this hearing will be today at, let's see, I think it said 6 p.m., uh, live streamed uh, on YouTube and on the city website. Um, very interesting, very excited. Happy Monday to everybody. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yeah, Chris, I, I would anticipate this to pass to my understanding from the politics in Orange County that, that are around this is that the trade off um, for Costa Mesa to be able to allow for dispensaries was what allowed for Santa Ana to have consumption on news. Interesting, interesting. I also want to note that the, um, the article references the uh, uh, tax, which is at 7%. Say, say that again. What's the tax rate at, Chris? 7%. So, so is that only for adult use transactions or does that include medical sales as well? So let me quote this article. It says, one reason people may not remember that cannabis shops are coming is that it's been almost two years since Costa Mesa voters approved the ballot measure that allowed the stores to set a new range for how much tax the city can charge on sales, which is at 7% currently. Uh, but so it doesn't distinct. It doesn't say if they distinguish between medical sales or adult use sales. No, no, there. Jason, it does not. Not in this article. Mm-mm. I know there's a lot of trap dispensaries out in that area too. I wonder how they are going to respond to the new competition. Does Costa Mesa anticipate like a huge amount of business since there aren't a lot of other dispensaries nearby? There's a huge amount of money disposable income in Costa Mesa and surrounding cities. And I expect whatever two stores open for them to do very, very well in this area. Do we know who the stores are? Are they like corporate? Well, they have, they have to have, they have to have this hearing before they can even get to that, to that phase. I'm pretty sure there's going to be plenty of, um, I guess, industry tied political shenanigans going on out there. It is the reddest part of California we're talking about. The last beacon of freedom in California, Rico. <laughs> Does corruption equal freedom? Is that what is that what you're saying there? Stay tuned for more corruption. That was that, that was that was corruption on the Democratic <laughs> side in Orange County, Rico. Come on, let's get it straight. Well, in Costa Mesa, they had that anyways, where they'd pay off for so many you know so many years. The the licensees would just pay off the the cops to not report them. But what I'm curious about is is how the um, they have religious exemptions in Costa Mesa. So there's been dispensaries all up and down Newport Boulevard for years now and how that's going to affect the people who are trying to do it within the regulations and within what I assume will pass because of the history. Thank you very much. I think ultimately those stores that are claiming the religious exemption will ultimately get closed down. Let's keep it moving. All right. We're coming up next. It's Menika Mahajan. She's a pot-loving PhD and champion of common sense cannabis policy, a real-life alternative activist remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. Coming next, it's Menika Mahajan. Good morning, mi bon dia. My story today comes from the Folha de São Paulo and is titled, translated from Portuguese, 
The Cannabis March brings together a crowd in Sao Paulo against the war on drugs. After a two-year hiatus due to COVID, the Cannabis March, or Marcha de da Maconha, returned to Sao Paulo. An estimated 100,000 people attended the march, which began at 4.30 p.m. and moved past the Consolação Cemetery, where protesters held a minute of silence for those who died in the war on drugs and COVID pandemic. Around 7 p.m., the march reached its final destination, a park and public square in downtown Sao Paulo. A cloud of smoke glowed in the sun as groups of protesters lit joints to defend the free use of cannabis. The theme of this year's march was war is genocide, legalization is life, emphasizing that the fight against drugs is, in fact, a machine of slaughter wars, according to the organizers. Policy has hit administrative roadblocks in Brazil as some political leaders try to stall progress. In the Chamber of Deputies, for example, one of the proposals that deals with cannabis is PL399-2015, which proposes to regulate the cultivation of marijuana cannabis for med medicinal and industrial purposes. Approved in June 2021 by a special committee, the project was supposed to go directly to a vote in the Senate, but the opposing bloc presented an appeal for the issue to be debated in plenary, and it has been stalled for a year. The bill only provides for cultivation by legal entities such as companies and patient associations. There is no provision for individual cultivation. Other entities fighting for democratic access to medical cannabis must go to court to obtain authorization to grow, manufacture, and distribute cannabis extracts for their patients. In one person's opinion, um, a man named Dantas, the PL is elitist, focused on the industry. Specializing in health law, a gentleman named Elton Fernandez has at least 20 lawsuits in defense of the use of cannabidiol, some of which have been won in favor of the patients. Quote, but there is no unanimity in the decisions. That's why it's so important to discuss decriminalization in order to expand access. End quote. A woman who goes by Sidinia is the head of Cultive, the 200-member strong association of cannabis and health. She was accompanied by other patients and children to march as, quote, a symbol of struggle and resistance in defense of life, as well as, in their words, an anti-Bolsonaro political act. Sedinia and the Cultive group formed part of the so-called therapeutic bloc, which is formed mostly by families. The Cannabis March also brought together other movements, such as feminist and abolitionist movements, for the end of prisons that, that incarcerate users. Quote, this union of collective groups that translates the power of an organized civil society is important in order to claim our rights and call on this government for reforms, said communicator Drica Coelho, 36, who is one of the organizers of the event. We are, one, we are all victims of this anti-drug policy. Oh, this is a quote. This is a war against the people, said attorney Michael Jameson de Jesus Dantas who's also a member of a collective that defends anti-prohibitionist policy through pro bono legal advocacy. Quote, the law left a huge gap between user and dealer, said Dantas, who suffers most from this is the black population of the periphery. And he's referring to the favelas uh, in which a lot of the drug trafficking activity occurs in sort of a parallel government structure. That's my story for today. I'm Menika Mahajan reporting on Maconha no Brasil for the State of Cannabis NewsHour. Back to you, Rico. I think we are wrapping it up. Anybody got um Oh Obrigado. Obrigado. Obrigado você. Yeah. Da, um beijo. I, I don't know. I, I I've been to, I've been to Brazil. I, I went there for three days. I stayed for a month. It's an amazing place. I encourage anyone to go 
to go check it out. Um, I did the one thing you do not want to get weed from anyone at the beach because those are all basically undercover cops. You want to make sure that you make friends with some homies in the favela and have them either bring it down or, but be very careful if they bring you up the hill. Oh, I went up that hill and, um, it was quite an adventure to go and get some, some pot up in the favela. Yeah, I, I did. I did as well. I went to my homie's bar to hang out with him for, for, for an evening and I'm literally sitting in his bar smoking some weed, and I see one guy running with an AK-47 extremely fast, and then about was a minute later. Was it gold-plated? No, it was not gold-plated. And then I see two <laughs> other dudes chasing after him with two Uzis in their hands. And so the shit is super, super live out up there, and mm-hmm. it's very treacherous. So, like, if, if you um, are of less of physical stature, I do not recommend going to the favelas. And if you're in the hey, car I with any, if you're in the car with anybody, keep your belongings, anything valuable in the off pocket closest to the door <laughs> and away from others. You will get pickpocketed quick. 100%. Yeah, and in, in Brazil, I mean, the the violence that goes along with this attempt to crack down on drug trafficking and and the the cannabis industry or the kind of underground cannabis industry in the favelas is so deadly. I mean, the military police will go into the favelas with just guns, you know, guns out and just kill, you know, 20 people at one time. So this is a really big issue in that country. Well, Manica, you know what it says on the Brazilian flag? Order in progress. That's right. Good fucking job. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Well, well pro- <laughs> prohibition never works. It never works. It never works. Uh, you, you missed it or you missed any of the show. It's 10 a.m., Rico. Rico? What? 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 We're at the 10. We we're at the top of the hour. I know. I was saying that was a great show. If you missed it, you can catch it anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Big thank you to all of our correspondents that comb through the headlines each day to bring us just what you need to know. A big thank you to Susan Sorries for bringing us up to episode 300, even though she's not with us today. Uh, we're hoping a speedy recovery with her family. And uh, please, everybody, keep her in your thoughts and prayers. Um, also to Jason, my co-host for the show, and our pinup girl, Jaja Simone Brown. And of course, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being such an important part to our show. 300 episodes in. And I hope you've had your daily dose 300 times now. And if you haven't, download the show and go back to every damn rep, every damn episode and listen to the sweetness that we kick to these streets. Can I get that uh, outro music from the background? You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that one. Thank you.
Hey, what are you still doing here? The show's over. You just don't want to leave, do you? I know. We love you too. Help us grow by grabbing some of our merch. We've got hats, bags, hoodies, water bottles, all the standards. It would really mean a lot. Go to justsaycare.org backslash shop today. Really, I mean it today. With the supply chain issues, you might get it by Christmas. The good news is that inflation will be so bad, you'll be locked into a low, low price. Remember, justsaycare.org. Thanks. Okay, go listen to another podcast. Bye.